Well, good morning, good hope. How are you? Amen. Is there anybody out here who can testify how faithful God is? The Bible testifies that from everlasting to everlasting that God is good. And his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace is something that we can not only wake up to, but we can bask in. We can baste in his love. My name is Minister Chris Johnson. Uh, I greet you in the grace, love, and peace of God, our Father, our Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, As Pastor Bell so smoothly said, I am not the senior pastor. But I thank Dr. Cofield and First Lady Tori Cofield for allowing me this honor to stand before you. May we give them a round of applause. We have the distinct honor of serving uh, at a church that is a Bible-believing church, a pastor in a church that believes in doing things God's way. And so we thank God for the person and the personality of our senior pastor, Dr. D.Z. Cofield. Can we give him just a round of applause? And our staff, too. Pastor Bill, my, my main man. Uh, I know he speaks so eloquently, but he's really from Third Ward, y'all. Don't, 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 don't let the smooth taste and the beige skins fool you. <laughs> we're going to go to God in a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, get into our message on this morning. I promise that we will be effective and we will be efficient, but we will not be eternal. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. So we want to make sure that you enjoy your Sunday. Uh, God's uh, enjoyment or your enjoyment of him is not just limited to the sanctuary. But it's in your meditation. It's in your quiet time with him. It's in your inward reflection. And so uh, we ask that you do that at all times. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on this place. God, we pray that we would find purpose and direction in your word. That we would find refuge in your word. God, make clear to us all things for our life in this message on this morning. God, we thank you for the gift of life. Thank you just for breathing into us this morning. Waking us up and getting us started on our day. God, you've kept us during this week, and for that we say thank you. You've watched over wives and children and husbands and uncles and aunties, and for that we say thank you as well. Now, God, we pray that you would remove all distractions and barriers. Make our focus our reality. Help us be singularly focused on who you are and how you reveal yourself in this carefully curated space. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For many of us, there is nothing newer or fresher than entering into a new relationship. When you think about any relationship, whether it be professional or platonic or personal 
there's always an initial sense of excitement there. Many of you all can remember your first day of kindergarten. You anxiously got up and you were so excited because you were crossing a milestone in your life and you were about to meet some new friends. You ran into the classroom and you were excited and you met folk who you would later, some of you, forge lifelong relationships with. It was there that you learned how to nurture and develop and cultivate those relationships. For others of you, you've developed your relationship with people in professional settings. You work with individuals and you want to make sure that you are who you say you are because everybody knows that it's hard to work with somebody who don't like to do their job. I mean, I, I, I love where I work, but what makes it really, really, really hard to work is when you got a coworker you can't depend on. And so your professional relationships are important. You, you, you develop and you nurture those professional relationships. Now, some of us, some of us even take that same approach into our personal relationships. You've met someone or you seek to meet someone and you and him or you and her have met and it's bliss and it's love and you've got to know who this person is and you carefully work on how you develop that relationship. You develop it, you water it, you plant seeds in it. One of the ways you develop your relationships is you take time to find out who you're really dealing with. Now, now if, if, if I can be honest with you, I, I have to be honest with you, I ain't always been, <laughs> I haven't always been the one to take the time to find out who I was dealing with. <laughs> and you rush into a relationship not finding out who you're really dealing with. These are all situations from life. I use them in jest or in joke to paint a word picture for you. The same type of careful care that you put into your platonic relationships or your personal relationships or your professional relationships is the same type of care you need to put into your relationship with God. Our church is going through a phenomenal series called Rooted and Grounded. It is, it is a series that, 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 that gives us an opportunity to peel back the curtains of our life, not just individually, but corporately to find out who is God and what is he doing in our life. The question here today for many of you is, who is God? Who is God? For some of you, he is a mysterious being. He is someone who is purged, who is, who is, who is hidden in the scriptures. He is someone who is so, somewhat difficult to understand. For others of you, he's a healer. He's a way maker. For some of you, he's a provider. For some of you, he's a professor in the classroom. 
In the book of Ezekiel, he said that he was a wheel within a wheel. We, 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 we use what's called anthropomorphic language to try to describe a God that quite frankly can never be accurately described with our limited finite language. He's majestic and he's holy. Genesis 1-1 testifies that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's, 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 it's Elohim revealed in his vastness and his glory and his splendor. And it's him doing his handiwork through the creation. Who is God? And in our text here today, we have a man who meets God and answers that question for us in a completely different context. Sometimes God is creator, but this, this brother found out that God is not only creator, but he's also sovereign. And he's also majestic. And he's also a keeper. Our scripture from the day comes from the book of Job, the first chapter, verses 20 through 22. And our title for our text today is Who is God? Who is God? Because I submit to you, the answer to that question is always the same in scripture, but the answer to that question in terms of your life will always change depending on the season that you're in. This is a story of about a man named Job. The Bible says that by all accounts, he was upright. He was blameless. He was quite the pious man. The Bible says that without solicitation or without prodding or poking from God or from the rabbi or from the temple, he would go and he would lay out his offering or his tithes or his alms before God without even having to be asked. Job was a rich man. Not rich in terms of paper currency because paper currency was not in existence at the time, but he was land rich. The Bible says he had thousands of sheep and thousands of acres and thousands of oxen. Now, God knows who to trust with some ox, because if it was me, it'd been oxtails for the rest of my life. <laughs> but he could trust Job. Job wasn't sneaking out there getting the oxtails. And he had beautiful kids, too. He had some really great kids. How many people out here have children? Ain't it great to have beautiful children? And he had the most adorable children, and he loved them. And not only did he have adorable children, he also had a fly wife. Her name was Miss Job. Now, she was a fly wife. I ain't talking about Jada Pinkett fly. I mean, you know, Neil Long fly, right? You know what I'm saying? That, <laughs> that class that you can take home to mom. <laughs> and the Bible says that he had all of these things, all of these blessings from God, and that he was so good that he had a hater in the midst of God. Here's a news flash for you. You can be walking and operating in the things of God and still have a hater. 
You can be paying your tithes and your offerings and still have a hater. You can be praying and offering yourself before God and laying bare before him and sackcloth and ashes and still have a hater. And here's the scary thing. The hater is not in flesh and blood. Because the Bible says that the one accused him was none other than Satan himself. You know, when you're a believer and you, you, you sign up for this thing called being a Christ follower, it puts a giant X on your back. See, this, this, this rooted and grounded group we're, we're, we're participating in, it's not for laughs and giggles. See, there's some stuff that goes on in life that will make you call on God's name more than you've ever done in your life. Some of you don't realize that you've been living in the plenty of God and everything that you have is only because of him. You think you tough, but pressure busts pipes and it makes water run uphill. And you don't understand the pressures and the pains of life because God has so carefully shielded you and protected you and nurtured you and taken care of you. And there is stuff that will happen in life that will cause you to call on his name. And the Bible said, the Bible said that this man, Job, was robbed of everything, all because Satan wants to prove a point. Here's a news flash. Satan want to prove a point with some of y'all. He don't want you in no rooted and grounded group. He doesn't want you praying before him. He doesn't want you fellowshipping in love. He doesn't want you getting connected back with God. He doesn't want you practicing the one another's. He doesn't want to see you producing the fruit of the spirit. He doesn't want to see you have joy, patience, peace, long-suffering, understanding, or any of that because he's not invested in your growth. And you need to remember the words of Peter that Satan sits before the very presence of God seeking permission to sift you as wheat. And the only reason that you stand here, the only reason that you sit here, the only reason that you are able even to come into this sanctuary and proclaim the very things of God is because of his grace and his mercy. Who is God? God is the one you can trust when things go rough in your life. He is the thing that you can trust when things go wrong in your life. The Bible says that Job found himself at a precipice. His wife is gone. Kids are gone. Family is gone. Typically when we are under attack, there are four areas of your life that the devil will attack. He will attack you spiritually. He looks to discourage you. He attacks you financially. He goes for the bag. He attacks you relationally. You start having problems with husband and wife and family members. And then he attacks you emotionally. He'll start chipping on your mental health. You'll think things that you never thought before. <laughs> oh, he's very crafty. <laughs> he has an adroit skill. An uncanny ability to take the very areas of weakness, but God has taken those very areas of weaknesses and turned them into your strength if you just trust them with your stuff. 
Look at what the text says. The text says that Job arose. He got up and he shaved his head naked. He stripped his clothes. Marvin Gaye used to say, it makes me want to holler the way they do my life. It makes me want to holler TEA coming in and taking over school districts. It makes me want to holler that we have a governor who would rather have folk carrying guns than books. It makes me want to holler that women's productive rights have been stripped and taken away with no regard for their health or their well-being. It makes me want to holler that young black men don't even see each other as, as kings and princes and kingmakers. Makes me want to holler. And there's some stuff in life that'll make you stand up and strip your head and holler and cry out before God. And Job understood that when you get to that point where you got to stand up and strip your head and holler that you don't need to holler at somebody else. You don't need to holler at your neighbor. All you need to do is look up to the very ceiling of heaven and say, God, be with me now. You can trust them with your stuff. Empty bank account, you can trust them. You might have to do some budgeting, but you can trust them. Failed, flawed relationship, you can trust them. You might have to start putting him or her first, but you're supposed to be doing that anyway. Bad attitude, negative thinking, you can trust them. All you have to do is pray and ask them to take every thought captive and to guard and, 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 and mold and, 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 and direct your mouth and align your mouth and your mind with his spirit and his will for your life. You can trust them. And God is the one that you can trust with all of the nasty stuff in your life. He's in the business of, 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 of taking people and making them and washing them fresh and anew in the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no blemish. There's no mark. There is no reason to fear because when you trust God with the stuff in your life, he takes care of it and he makes sure that you get to where he wants you to be in your life. And look at what Job did. Job trusted him with two things. One, he trusted him with his problems. Take it to God. But the second thing Job trusted him with is he trusted him with his praise. Oftentimes when we're at the precipice, God is supposed to be the object of our worship. Your focus is your reality. As a man thinketh, so is he. When life puts something in front of you, your focus should not be the magnitude of the problem. You understand the problem. You have assessed the problem. You are not being unrealistic, but you realize that this problem is a mere speck in the eye of the God that you serve. Who is God? 
God is the place of your peace. Look at what Job does. He strips himself and then he falls to the ground and he worships. Somebody in here, you, 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 you have just met God as Yahweh Shalom. God's your peace. Earlier I talked to you about God being creator. Elohim. But then there's also a time in the midst of all tumult, in the midst of all difficulty. He is not only God creator, but he is God shalom. That he is peace. Peace. Peace not being the absence of problems, but peace being the presence of him. It's like being on a cruise ship. The rudder is what keeps it going straight. God is the rudder on the ship of life that, you, that you're on. And he, 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 he leads you, as David says, behind, beside still waters. He's a quiet, still voice that talks to you when all ruckus is breaking out. He speaks to you, to you through prayer and meditation and your word and just quiet, still time with him. He speaks to you in community as well. You're rooted in grounded groups. These are, these are the, the connective tissue because God doesn't just move individually in your life. He moves collectively in the lives of all of us here. He's peace. When you go home and Kids are acting up. He's peace. Co-workers lying on you at the job, being difficult. He's peace. Driving on the highways of Houston where road rage will just leap out to you at any time. He's peace. Two and a half years we spent in the house under COVID, watching people die, staying tethered to God, staying in his word. He's peace. A move of discipleship at this church that has been started by him. He's peace. And God is the place of your peace. Who is God? God should never be the second place you stop. God should never be the last place you stop. God should never be an alternative route after you done checked with everybody else. He is the focal point of your peace. This is why he told Jesus to tell y'all, peace I leave with you. You're having problems because you're not operating in his peace. When you reach out and you grab God's hand, he gives you peace. Dr. Cofield always stands here and he talks about peace being on the other side of the door. But I'll go a little bit further than that. Peace can not only be on the other side of the door, peace can be on the other side of your heart. Peace is available on the other side of your spirit. And when you take care of that, peace will be on the other side of your bed, peace will be on the other side of your bank account, and peace will be on the other side of your life. Remember, 
God is the one that you can trust with the stuff in your life. God is the place of your peace. But here's the third and final thing. Here's the third and final thing. God is holy and majestic. God is holy and majestic. By the time Job had an epiphany, Job understood that God was creator. Job understood that God was sovereign. Job finally understands and says that God is not only sovereign, that he is not only creator, but God is Lord. There is a distinction between God and Lord. Elohim speaks to his his vastness and his majesty. Lord speaks to the personal position he has in your life. Years ago when I would come to this church, he was God. I'd sit up in the top left corner uh, to the right of my uh, or to the right of this podium. And he was God. Impersonal, abstract, distant. He was God. And then I heard a message that talked about the love of God. And then he went from God being distant to my Lord who was near. But that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that God was just Lord. I had to realize that God was holy as well. That I can't just bring him no anything. That like Moses, when I come into his presence, I have to take off the sandals that I come into that I bring from life. That I have to lay myself bare before him every day and every night. He's holy. You can't just come into this presence and just bring God know anything. He ain't going to take it. Listen to me. He loves you. Oh, man. Oh, my God. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to keep you, but you will respect him. I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. I ain't got to respect no God. I can't even see it. Don't even matter. God can see you, fool. Like your respect to God is predicated on whether you can't see him. You can't see the money you chasing either. All you see is a, is a representation. That's paper. It's backed up by bullion. You ain't never seen the bullion, but you're chasing the paper. You got a life and you ain't never seen the master. That's who you need to be focused on. He's holy. Majestic. Worthy of our best, our utmost for his highest, not second class first. We don't give him the scraps of our life. We serve it up to him for lay me on full course meal five. God, I'm going to give you the best that I got to give you because he's holy. You got to come to him a certain kind of way. 
Not with no bunch of money. He's not asking for that. You, you want to know what you got to come to God with? Somebody ask me, what, what, what do I have to come to God with? What do I have to come to God with? Somebody just ask me. Can we do this in unison? An humble and contrite heart. Somebody in here, God is holy and majestic. The issues and the problems in your life are not the barriers. They're just indicators. Much like Job, they are things that point to a greater Lord and a greater sovereign and a greater savior. Job did not have the benefit, so to speak, of having the revealed knowledge that we have through the Bible. He knew God and he understood that everything about Elohim pointed to a greater savior. We used his story from scripture today because all we're trying to do is just point you to a greater savior. Somebody in here, you've been asking who is God? Yes, he's creator. Yes, he's the place of your peace. Yes, he's holy and majestic. But right now he's your savior who's looking to be your Lord. And all you have to do is just extend and reach out your hand and grab what he's trying to offer you. You want to know why Job was able to withstand pressure? Because he was rooted and grounded in a God who he knew loved and cared for him. Somebody in here, you need to get rooted and grounded. Say, let's get rooted and grounded. Let's get rooted and grounded. Say, tell your neighbor, let's get rooted and grounded. Let's get rooted and grounded. Let's get rooted. How are we going to get rooted and grounded? We got to pray more. Let's get rooted and grounded. How are we going to get rooted and grounded? We have to worship more. Somebody in here, you ought to be standing up on your feet and worshiping God right now. We're trying to get into these rhythms of God. You want to be rhythm with God? We need to lift holy hands to him and say, thank you, Jesus, for everything in my life, for you've done in my life. Thank you, Jesus for watching over and protecting me. Thank you, Jesus, for being a way out of no way. Thank you, Jesus, for being a healer. Thank you, Jesus, for being a provider. Thank you, Jesus, for pulling somebody out of incarceration. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me out of the depths of mental health and illness. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me out of addiction. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you. Jesus. Jesus. Who is God? Who is God? He's many things. He's everything. Yes, sir, Brother King. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ah, the Spirit of God is in this place. <laughs> Who is God? He's present right now. 
Ezekiel 45 testifies that the Lord is there. It's so good to serve a God who sees you. <laughs> That's another message, the power of being seen. Somebody in here today, God sees you. He's looked past the muck and the mire that surrounds you. He's whispering so evidently in your ear. Friends will tell you that you're tripping. You don't need to go to that church. All them preachers just about money. Newsflash, we're broke. <laughs> but our Father in heaven is rich. <laughs> 